I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We'll read the first 31 verses. We have in the past looked at some of these verses, particularly pertaining to the Lord's Supper, but I wanted to read all of it inclusively uh, because we want to get down to the end uh, with, with Peter's denial here and reflect on that as well this morning. I'm going to focus mainly uh, on this woman who comes to anoint Jesus. Mark chapter 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And, whenever he, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And, in, and when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes, it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. May God bless his word to us this morning, and write its truth upon our hearts. Sacrifice. 
Sacrifice means giving up something valued. It's a giving up of something value or important for somebody or something else considered to be of more value or importance. Sacrifice. Now, Memorial Day is a day of remembering the men and women who sacrificed themselves while serving in the armed forces. We appreciate their ultimate sacrifice, placing others, especially ourselves, who are the beneficiaries of their sacrifice, they, they placed uh, our freedoms, our country, ourselves over their own lives. and they, they laid those lives down, and we value that. We appreciate that. Well, this woman that we see in the passage before us today, she also made a sacrifice, a very costly sacrifice. Now, Mark does not give us the name of the woman here, but John does in chapter 12 of his gospel. He tells us that the woman who does the anointing was Mary, who was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. There was a number of Marys in the Bible, but you will remember that Mary and Martha were ones who earlier had hosted Jesus. Martha was doing all the serving. Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him speak and teach. Uh, Martha wanted help. Uh, Jesus said, no, Martha, she's found the best thing, and she's, it's not going to be taken from her. And then in chapter 11 of John, we see the episode where Lazarus has died, and Jesus goes to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, and then raises Lazarus from the dead. And then we have what happens here. So that's the Mary we're talking about. Now she made this costly sacrifice, but would we think that it was for a worthy cause? I mean, you know, we think of the soldiers who laid down their lives to put down injustice and oppression in the world and preserve freedom, and we say, yes, that's a worthy cause. And of course, it is a worthy cause. And we look at an even greater example in Jesus dying on the cross, uh, sacrificing himself for unworthy sinners like ourselves, bearing hell itself on the cross for us. And we say, yes, that's a worthy cause. He's done something for someone else. But what was Mary's cause here? What was she doing? Who benefited from her sacrifice? It wasn't all of humanity other than the fact that her story, as Jesus tells us there, has been recorded for generations and we remember her and we're encouraged by her example. But at the time, the person who benefited from her great sacrifice was Jesus Christ and him only. Her cause, the cause that she thought was worthy, was to express her love and gratitude to Jesus. And what she was actually engaged in there was worship. It was an act of worship for her to do this to Jesus. Her sacrifice was directed solely at Jesus. Now, the question I want to address today is worshiping Jesus Christ a worthy cause? Now, is that a worthy cause? I mean, obviously, I'm going to say, yes, it is. But let's think about that for a moment. We see here that Mary loved Jesus more than anything else. She loved him more than money. So she, she thought it was a worthy cause to worship Jesus Christ. Now, according to John 12, Mary anoints Jesus with this perfumed oil. 
The gospel writer tells us that it was made from pure nard. Now, we don't have any idea what nard is, but from my dictionary it tells me that it was a juice that had a beautiful aroma that was extracted from the head of a plant that is grown in East India. So an exotic plant that was imported in, or at least the oil uh, that was made from this perfume was imported in, and therefore, because it came from such a distance in those days, it was very expensive. The Gospel writers tell us that the, the worth of this bottle of perfumed oil was 300 denarii. Now, a denarii was the equivalent uh, of uh, a, a day worker's wage, so a day's pay. So you're talking about practically a year's salary that she pours out on Jesus. Uh, it was an expensive item. It was, would have been a valuable commodity in their family. It was undoubtedly the most expensive thing that they owned by a long shot. It may have been an heirloom that had been passed down like jewelry or some other precious possession. And they would have had, a, fam- a normal family would have preserved such a possession uh, and sold it only in time of great need. But here we see Mary breaking the neck off that bottle and pouring the whole contents on Jesus. Normally, a person who would use this kind of perfumed oil would only have used a little bit. But Mary loved Jesus so much that she pours the whole bottle of it. And you just think about that for a moment. You take a year's worth of wages and pour them out. One time and one time only, just poured it out, and it dripped off Jesus onto the floor, never to be recovered, gone. Thirty, forty thousand dollars, just poof, gone. But Mary thought it was worth it. The bottom line for Mary was that she loved Jesus so much that no lavish gift was too much. She knew nothing less than her most precious possession would do as a way to express the magnitude of her gratitude, love, and commitment to him. And Jesus commends her by saying in verse 6 that she's done a beautiful thing. So Jesus thought worshiping Christ, showing him love and adoration was something that was worthwhile. And she demonstrated in the greatest way by giving this prized possession and just pouring it out for the benefit of Jesus. A great act of devotion for her. She thought Jesus, uh, worshiping Jesus in this way was worthwhile. The disciples thought differently, as we see here. Jesus commends them, and, she, and he talks to the disciples and says, you know, leave her alone. What she's done is beautiful. But what were they saying? They were saying, look, why was this, this ointment wasted like that? It could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. All the disciples verbalized it, but one disciple in particular verbalized it. And John tells us that that was Judas. Whereas Mary loved Jesus more than money, we find out from John chapter 12 that Judas, Judas loved money more than Jesus. And I think these two people are noted here and we are meant to compare them, their actions. 
John 12 tells us that it was Judas who said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And John goes on to tell us that he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So he was the person who carried around the money for the disciples. And having 300 denarii, a year's worth of wages in the bag, that would have, been, that would have come in quite... Uh, uh, it would have come quite handy, you know, when Judas wanted to dip in and have what he wanted. So Jesus, uh, Judas loved money more than Jesus. And we see it, that he is willing to betray Jesus. For what? For money. So the most important thing to Judas was money. And he was willing to sacrifice what for Jesus? I mean, he was, he, was, he was going to sacrifice Jesus for money. And that's exactly what he did. Those people to whom he betrayed Jesus, uh, they paid him money. So whereas Mary sacrificed money for Jesus, Judas sacrificed Jesus for money. See, that's what he worshipped. It was money. And of course... We all worship something. Uh, everybody, we, human beings are worshiping creatures. And you think, may think, well, atheists don't worship anything. They don't go to church. Or, no, everybody worships something. And we all have different ways of showing it. But everybody, the word worship means ascribe worth to something. You, you think something is valuable. Well, you cannot help but have something in your life that is of utmost value. There is something that every one of us values above everything else. Mary valued Jesus over the most expensive item that she had. Judas valued money over even the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us value something. What is it that you value? Well, we worship, we value what we love. And the only uh, way I know of to figure out what it is that we really love is to look at our checkbook. What is it that we spend our money on? What is it that we spend our time doing? What is it that we spend our energy engaged in? If you look at those things, you will figure out what it is that's most important to you. What you spend your time and your money and your energy upon, that's what you worship. That's what's most important to you. That's a good indicator of what you worship. The point that Mary's making for us is that there's nothing more valuable than Jesus Christ, not even the, the greatest amount of money that you could imagine. Judas didn't see it that way, nor did the other disciples. The other disciples, they struggle with this. Now, Judas was not a believer, truly. Uh, he betrayed Jesus. He didn't think there could be any forgiveness. He ended up... Uh, killing himself over this whole issue because he could not see his way forward to come to Jesus and get, uh, to, to get forgiveness and to repent of what he had done. Uh, he despaired that there was anything, anybody who could help him, and so he killed himself. Now, the disciples had the same attitude of, of Jesus, but I think they're a bit different than, than Judas. Sorry, they, they are a bit different than Judas. The disciples, 
of course, love Jesus. They're not to the spiritual level of Mary at this point because they're criticizing Mary for what she had done. But you see it earlier in Mark, what their attitude is. See, they loved Jesus. They loved what Jesus could give them more than they loved Jesus himself. And that's a subtle difference. You remember that James and John came to Jesus uh, requesting to sit at his right hand and his left. You know, they wanted positions of power. See, they, they were following Jesus, and they understood that he was the Messiah, except they thought that the Messiah was going to come and bring in this earthly kingdom, and uh, he was going to run the Romans off and set up rule there. And because they were in tight with Jesus, that they were going to be the beneficiaries of being his supporters during the lean times. That when it came time for Jesus to start ruling, when he started handing out favors, started handing out positions, they would be first in line to receive it. And that's what James and John are after. And the other disciples. You know, Jesus is time and time again trying to help them understand that he's going to be rejected and he's going to die and he's going to be uh, killed by the chief priests and the scribes. And they just can't seem to understand what he's, what he's talking about. The first time, Peter rebukes him. And then the second and third time, they actually don't even hear what he has to say, and then they begin arguing over which one of them is the greatest, who's going to have the highest place in his administration. See, what they were after was what Jesus could give them. Now, they're going to get it later. They haven't gotten it yet at this point, but they're going to get it later. They're in progress Mary is a little further down the line. She has recognized Jesus for the beauty of who he is and what he's done, and she appreciates him for that. The disciples just appreciate what Jesus can give them, and that's really what they want most. That's what they worship. They worship positions. You know, when you think about that, if you only follow Jesus for what he can give you, you're putting something that he can give you above Jesus himself. But to love, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what Mary is doing here. She didn't care about money. She didn't care about people's approval. I mean, what she did was over the top. I mean, people just don't do that. But she didn't care what anybody else think, thought. She just wanted to show her love and appreciation to Jesus, and that's exactly what she did. They even were scorning her, and she continued to do just exactly what she was doing. Notice that when they sit down for the Last Supper, that Jesus mentions four times in verses 18 and 20 that one of you will be the betrayer. One of you will be the betrayer. He's stressing this to them. What he's trying to do there is to humble the disciples so that they will see that they are sinful and they can only stand by his grace. All along, we see the disciples overestimating themselves. You know, they are the ones who are, uh, are greatest in the kingdom, they brag. But we see them not able to cast the demon out of the boy in Mark chapter 9, and he indicates that it's because of their lack of prayer and spiritual dependence. And when he's trying to instruct them about his rejection and death, uh, they still don't get it. And Jesus is coming to the climax of the gospel in his life, the last few days of his life. And Jesus is seeking to melt their hearts, even Judas's heart. 
by repeatedly telling them that the betrayer is among them. But all they can say is, surely not me. If you look at the Greek of what they say here, in our translation it says, it is I, but really it's more negative than that. It's, It's better translated, surely not me. You say that when you want to express, you use that the, the kind of language that's there, when you want to express that you disbelieve something and you're expressing that disbelief. We see an example of it earlier when people talking about Jesus say, surely this is not the Messiah, is it? And they didn't want to believe it. They couldn't believe it. Uh, and here the disciples don't want to believe it and cannot believe that they would be the ones who would betray Jesus. And of course, Judas is the one that Jesus is talking about, but we find here at the end of the narrative that they all deserted him. They all left him. Peter, emphatically saying, I will, even if I have to die, I will not betray you. You know, giving himself too much credit. And of course, what do we know? That he denied him three times, even with cursing. The disciples think themselves worthy. And because they they think themselves worthy, they are not yet able to give themselves to him like Mary did. It goes like this. The principle that we're looking at here today is that when Jesus loves someone, he continually tries to show them their capacity for sin and their need for sheer grace and absolute mercy. And we resist that with all of our heart. We don't like to be told that we're sinners, that we need help. We're Americans. We're independent. We like to stand on our own two feet. But God is continually trying to show us that we need his grace. We need his absolute mercy. We need to see how incapable we are spiritually, that we are incapable of receiving God's grace. And until we see that, until we see how useless we are, we cannot become useful. Until we see how much in need we are of God's grace and how we can't uh, gain that by anything that we bring to the table, we will, rene- we will never receive God's grace. You can't receive grace until you realize you need it. And until you receive grace, you'll never be grateful for it because you haven't received anything yet. Maybe the reason that we have so much trouble serving the Lord and sacrificing for him is that we've never really experienced grace We've never experienced anything from Jesus that we would like to show gratitude with our lives for. Mary had experienced something wonderful from Jesus, and she wanted to express gratitude. She had experienced his grace, and she wanted to express her gratitude. Have we, have you experienced his grace? Do you find your heart wanting to show thanks and gratitude to him? Do you find yourself wanting to serve him in, in, with your gifts, with your ability, with your money? I would venture to say that our, uh, you know, the little graph that we have in the bulletin sometimes that shows the amount of money way below our budget, uh, if we all were like Mary, that wouldn't be a problem. Of course, we'd be pouring out $30,000 gifts uh, to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we should do that, but I'm just saying... That type of service only comes when we understand God's grace, when we experience God's grace. And we can't see that, we can't experience that until we see that we're sinful and broken and need him so desperately. 
And then he comes and he ministers to us and saves us and cleanses us and we experience his grace and that fuels our life of service to him. That's what it did for Mary. And you can see why it didn't do that for Judas because he was, he was loving money. That's what he was serving. That's what he was sacrificing for and that's what he got. He didn't receive grace in the end. The Heidelberg Catechism question two says, I love this question, how many things are necessary for you to know that you, enjoying this comfort, may live and die happily? There are three things, this question tells us, that we need to know to live and die happily. There are three things. First, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. And third, how shall I express my gratitude to God for such deliverance? If we get those three things, we'll have a happy life. Mary had those things. She understood that she was a sinner, that Christ was her all in all. And she had experienced his deliverance, and she was showing her gratitude for it. May the Lord help all of us to experience his grace, to see our own sin, to experience his grace and forgiveness and mercy that he so freely poured out for us on the cross. May we experience his, his, uh, his redemption that he's purchased with his blood, and may that fuel our gratitude to him with a life of service, with nothing off limits, to do whatever he asks, to serve him in any way that he would desire. Of course, we're all subject to the second law of thermodynamics, which says, all in, in all energy exchanges, you see, I don't know this off the top of my head because I'm not a scientist, in all energy exchanges, if no energy enters or leaves the system, the potential energy of the state will always be less than that of the initial state. There's some scientists around here who could explain that better than I will. But it's also called entropy, and to state, state it simply, you always lose energy. You know, a wind-up watch has to be rewound. A car has to be refueled. A fire must be stoked with more wood. Humans must eat food to have energy to live. We always, the energy is running out. The flow of energy maintains order in life. Entropy wins when organisms or mechanisms cease to take in energy and die. And what is true of watches and cars and fires and human bodies is also true of love. Love is subject to entropy. Love grows cold if it is not re-energized and rekindled. You think of a married couple. If they don't communicate, spend quality and quantity time together, if they don't forgive one another, well, then their love for one another will grow cold. A successful marriage is one that does not uh, give in to entropy. It does things to overcome entropy, to keep the energy going, the love going. And what's true of any marriage rela relationship is true of our relationship with God as well. Our love for Jesus has a tendency to grow cold. We need to continuously recognize that our brokenness and our wayward hearts and keep coming back to him for his grace and his mercy and to, to, to live in dependence upon him. And that will rekindle our love for Jesus. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. May the Lord give us grace that we might serve him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray together.